in the short term, you might be maligned and totally misunderstood and mocked because you live your life differently and you look differently. And yet at the same time, the long play here is that over time, as they watch you, they go, man, there's something really compelling about the way that they live their lives. And it's different, but it's, it's attractive. And that ultimately God uses your abstaining from the flesh and God uses your commitment to Jesus to actually draw them to faith. I mean, this is, you know, lifestyle evangelism. You're listening to The Chopping Board, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. Well, good morning and welcome back to The Chopping Block. I wish I knew what episode number this is, but its I don't know what it is. It's um, good to be back. Yeah. Pastor Andy Atkinson is back with us this morning after being in the country of Laos for uh, 10, 12 days. Total travel time was, I think, 11 days. And that flight from L.A. to Singapore was what, Andy? Brutal. <laughs> How long? 16 hours in the air for that one. Ooh. It was 41 hours total travel time on the way home. I, I have traveled once to Israel, to Tel Aviv from Philly, and it was, I think, a 13-hour flight. It was overnight. I'm a big dude. You're a big dude. I didn't sleep at all. Did you get any rest on those flights? I'll tell you this. Jens Terrell is a machine, man. <laughs> that dude can sleep anywhere. I struggled. Yeah, I, did, I didn't yeah. do so well. Yeah, I don't. I don't rest well on flights or, or car rides. Well, we're really excited to have you back. It's been a lonely uh, office area, but Elin Terrell has filled your seat really well over the last couple weeks on the I chopping listened. block. I listened. It was a very good episode. Yeah, she's she's awesome. We'll have her back on in the future. Um, but you know, we're still in this sermon series in First Peter. And we'll be throughout, we go to about August with this. We're rolling for a while. I'd have to look at the calendar. Yeah. So uh, I think it's been really good so far. We're in chapter two and really the first, I don't know, month and a half or so here has been just focusing on our identity as God's people, as the redeemed people of God, as those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, born again. And uh, this week with Andy Herman, our director of the neighborhood ministry uh, kind of took a turn in the letter in verses 11 and 12. I think two eleven is a pivot yeah. from really introduction to the body of the letter. Mm-hmm. And Peter's kind of shifting his focus to these house, like what's referred to as household codes. It's kind yeah. of ethical conduct for believers. Um, so 11 and 12 kind of set up a heading. And then it gets into specific relationships or scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. So this Sunday we'll be diving into the relationship of the, the believer to civil authority. Right, which is such an important conversation for us right now to to think through what our role is here. And so, you know, it's only two verses. I might just read it real quick, and then we'll dive in uh, as we think about Andy's uh, sermon this week. Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. 
conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits you. You know, this is the first time, one of the things that stuck out to me, Andy, is this first time that he uses the language of strangers and exiles again. Going back to, you know, I think it was verse 1 or 2 where he calls them elect exiles. Why, after kind of moving out of the introduction and moving to this, you know, ethical portion of the letter, do you think he reminds them to begin with that they're strangers and exiles? I think as he shifts to kind of ethical conduct or how to live. Right, how to live, that's good. Um, He's reminding them that their living is going to look and be different than the world that they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And so he circles back to that exile language to go, let me just remind you that you're a foreigner and your conduct is going to be foreign to the world that you find yourselves in. And so I, I think that's probably why he's circling back to that language as he begins to then give instruction on how to conduct themselves, um, in the culture. Yeah, I think it connects with with the call here to good works, right? And and we'll talk more about that. But but you've got some interesting language here in verse eleven, and, and Andy Herman did a great job kind of uh, setting this up for us, talking about really the idea of spiritual warfare that we have an enemy, right? We we don't maybe talk about this as much uh, right now in the church as maybe we should, uh, or as Westerners for sure. But this idea that um, there are sinful desires that wage war against our soul. You know, we recognize, too, that we have an enemy in uh, the evil one, in Satan, who is working against us to still kill and destroy. But it's interesting that he uses the language of sinful desires that wage war against the soul. What, 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 what is this passage teaching us about spiritual warfare? It almost makes me think of, like, uh, you know, cancerous cells that are waging war against a healthy body. Right. You know, that like because of our fallenness, because of our sinfulness, um, we are, we are subjected to a corrupt system and, and, and that corruption is waging war against us. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it is an important word, um, to key in on because we're living in such a therapeutic moment mm-hmm. where so much of brokenness is being attributed to trauma. And uh, that's the sort of language. And, and some of that's really healthy. I think right. some of this is a healthy corrective moment. Um, And we want to be really nuanced in how we think through this, but we need to be careful not to lose biblical categories for sin. Yeah. Um, And and one of the things that Peter is saying really clearly here is that sin is not a neutral agent. Sin is actively waging war against you. And we need to be alert to that. Like we don't need to look at sin as – in any way safe or tame or um, something that can be managed. Peter is saying something really clear here that, like, man, if you lean into sin, it is it is going to destroy you. Yeah. Your, your language there made me think of, uh, you know, the first murder in the Bible. We haven't talked about murder yet this morning, so let's bring that up. Uh, Genesis 4 
And the Lord's language when uh, Cain is wrestling with his jealousy and envy of his brother, and like the the human language that he almost puts on, uh, you know, sin. The Lord says, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, right? And, of course, this is pre-Jesus, pre-gospel, but but this, this to your point, this idea that, like, sin is, like, its desire is for us, to rule over us, uh, to wage war against our soul, to still kill and destroy, right? Um, and so I, I think I think it's a good word to say that sin is not neutral, and even the world we live in is not neutral, right? Right. Like the, there is both an, in some ways there is both an an outside enemy and an inside enemy, right? A, a, external and internal. And those two play together because that that outside enemy of Satan, and his minions, uh huh, they're they're keying in on those internal struggles. They're keying in on our weaknesses, mm-hmm. and and finding those soft spots. Um, of the flesh in each of us and, and pressing in on those through very specific temptations. Um, you know, and if we're not actively waging war, um, if there's not a, a conscientiousness mm-hmm. about our spiritual lives, we're vulnerable. And I think that's, that's some of what Peter's saying here. And so the call here, he says, is to abstain. Um, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. You know, Peter is saying to believers abstain from sinful desires. Brett, what's a healthy approach to abstaining from sinful desires and what's an unhealthy approach to trying to fight against the flesh? Yeah. I mean, I, this feels like my lifelong question and struggle. Yeah. I think, you know, so long for me in in high school and college, it was just the abstaining was the white knuckle approach. Right? I, I'm just going to hold on and, and grab it hard enough and, and, will will it to death on my own strength and my own, you know, I, I can do this. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, but now I can do this. Thank you for, for giving me heaven, but now I can live my life and, and I can overcome this on my own, right? I'm just going to abstain. I'm going to stop. <laughs> you bring up a funny, uh, is it Bob Newhart skit yeah, often? Yeah, old Mad TV skit. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've tried that before, and it has not been successful, and it, honestly usually leads to more spiraling in sin because it just brings shame and guilt it brings discouragement because here's the reality people we can't <laughs> we can't so a healthy view of abstaining and you, you kind of said this off air which is just so good i mean to your point the whole of chapter one through the verse 10 of through verse 10 of chapter two is setting up our identity in christ as god's chosen people redeemed to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, born again, bought with the precious blood of Christ, you know, uh, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, who are, who are called to proclaim the, the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like, this is an identity that we live out of. Identity comes before, right? Mm-hmm. This call to a way of living. So I, I think it's, a healthy view of abstaining is living into who you already are. Right. Right. You know, the language we use at sea life a lot is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. We behold what we become, that we're going to 
to daily put. I think you said that backwards. We become what we behold. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> we behold what we become. What did I say? We become what we behold, right? That we're going to daily try to fix our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes on heavenly things, our minds on heavenly things. And Andy, Andy went to Romans 6 on Sunday. Right. And I think that's really helpful language because the que- you know Paul is dealing with this hypothetical question of, well, if it's all grace and it's not works, then should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Yeah. You know, and Paul's answer is not, well, no, because if if you do that, you'll lose your salvation. Or if you do that, you know, no, Paul's answer is, how can we who have died to sin continue living in it? Mm-hmm. What he says is there's been a fundamental change in your heart. A metamorphosis has happened. A death has occurred. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Something mysteriously supernatural has happened in you. And you are now a new creation in Christ, and you live you live out of that identity. But then Paul also goes on, and he he gives some really practical, you know, help there to say, like, don't present your members, your your body parts, right, as instruments. Or the CSB, I think, actually translates translates it as weapons of unrighteousness. Don't present your body as an instrument of unrighteousness, but present your body, present your body parts as instruments of righteousness. Right. Um, so, uh, so much of the Christian life is living into appropriating, taking hold of what is already true of us through right. our justification. Um, the real work, the real work of sanctification, the real work of abstaining from the flesh, of our, from our sinful desires, is laying hold of and believing what is true of us by the Spirit, you know. And another way of saying that is looking to Jesus and being reminded of that everything is true of him is true of us because Mm -hmm. we've been united to him by faith. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a different approach. And so the the battle, the fight, every day, and this is why it's so important to start our days this way, is to yoke our minds with the truth. This is why theology matters. This is why time with Jesus in the Word matters. This is why prayer matters. This is why fellowship and community matters because these are all means of grace to, to form us spiritually and to shape our minds and our hearts to believe what's yeah. true of us. Yeah. Who gets our gaze? Who gets our gaze? Who gets our, our worship? Yep. Yep. I mean, and, and, and to go super Augustinian with it, like ultimately you are what you love. Right. You know, and so, so much of those disciplines is a cultivation of habits that shape us and form us and form our loves, mm-hmm. right? And so, we're being shaped by what we believe. We're being shaped by what we give ourselves to, and ultimately, that changes our hearts. That God works through that. God, the Spirit, works through that to to shape our loves. And so, I think, I think that's key. You yeah. know, one of the things that Peter is doing here is. He's calling us as believers to abstain from from a, an apologetic or from an evangelistic angle. Yeah. Um, you know, he's saying live differently because, you know, his language is Gentile, but that's really just the language for unbeliever. Because live differently because unbelievers are watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important here to to note that like this call to abstain from sinful desire 
is really an appeal to Christians to say, like, people need to see a different treasure Mm -hmm. in you. Like, and ultimately, we are all proclaiming the excellencies of something. To go back to Peter's language of gospel identity, you know, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of his darkness into marvelous light. Like, we're, we're all proclaiming the excellency of something. Yeah. And and when Peter says abstain from these sinful desires, he's saying don't proclaim the excellency of sin. Proclaim the excellency of Jesus. And so another reason why it matters to walk in holiness and to, to say no to sin and, and yes to Jesus is because that preaches. Yeah. And, and, you know, when he goes on to say, conduct yourselves honorably uh, among the Gentiles, you know, I think, you know, you could hear what we just said and go, well, I'm, all I feel is like a, there's a standard here that I can't meet because I seem to keep giving into these sinful desires or messing up. That, again, we, 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 we recognize it's not a call to perfection. One of the ways you could conduct yourselves honorably is by asking forgiveness when you do it wrong mm. <laughs> in a relationship. Yeah. One of the ways is by confessing sins because um, it's, it's, it's a, that's a strange and exile way of life. Yeah, nobody's doing that. Right. Nobody is willfully bringing their sin to the surface and going, man, I, I screwed up. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, Andy brought up the Greek word here that's translated honorably. Uh, you know, I think I just took it. Greek, you might be able to pronounce it better than me. I think it's kalos or kalos. I, is, um, is it the word honorably or the word good works? It, it was. It's the word honorably in, okay. in verse in okay. verse twelve. Got it. You know, I think he might be potentially the good. I didn't. I didn't look at the word good down there. It might be the same word or a different word, but but that word honorably really means beautiful. Something that's beautiful, yeah. that's attractive, that's admi- uh, admirable. Which when I saw that and we were in the preaching team meeting last week and talking about it, it's like, oh man, this this really gives you kind of the heart behind what the call is here. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not to live holier than thou. No. It's not to be self righteous and look better than other people. You know what what what's the nuance here for this idea of honorably? Well, just I I think a winsomeness and yeah. a and a an attractiveness about your life. Um. And we've probably all experienced those people, whether it's a boss and there's just like they exude a humility. They're not using their position to serve themselves, but they're using their position to serve others. There's 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 a an attractiveness, you know, there or maybe we've had a friend that you just come in like they just exude goodness yeah, in a way that's super attractive. And, you know, Andy did a good job of tying this to our vision statement, you know our vision is to demonstrate and declare the goodness of Jesus. Like when we talk about demonstrating the goodness of Jesus, this is what we're talking about. Right. Like there was an attractiveness about the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus, knowing that he was very different than they were. He lived very differently, but he was, he was, I think uh, attractive. He was kind. He was gentle. He was holy. So, so the you know the negative side of this, the flip side is you might say, you know, you might say very gently, if unbelievers are only ever uh, 
not attracted to us. Like if they run from us, if they're, they feel only judged by us, they feel only um, condemned by us, they, they, that we don't have any relationships with unbelievers, we probably need to, to wrestle with that. Well, and, Andy brought this out Sunday. He said the enemy is not Gentiles. Right, that's right. You know, there is an enemy in these, in these verses. It's sin. Mm-hmm. Sin is the enemy. Gentiles are not. Mm-hmm. We want them to know Jesus. And the irony here is they're the ones who are slandering you as evildoers. <laughs> and yet they're not the enemy. Right. And, and I think one of the really important things about, one of the really important things about these verses is that there's a trajectory here for Peter. Yeah. Peter's playing the long game. He's going in the short run. They might slander you as evildoers. In the long run, they may give glory to God on the day of visitation. That that in the short term, you might be maligned and totally misunderstood and mocked because you live your life differently and you look differently. And yet at the same time, the long play here is that over time as they watch you, they go, man, there's something really compelling about the way that they live their lives. And it's different, but it's, it's attractive and that ultimately God uses your abstaining from the flesh and God uses your commitment to Jesus to actually draw them to faith. Right. I mean, this is, you know, lifestyle evangelism. Mm -hmm. And, and I thought Andy did a good job of framing it up the right way to go. This is, these are not culture war verses, you know, sin is the problem. Gentiles need Jesus the same way that we do. It's a, yeah, that's a really good word for our cultural moment because we live in a moment where anyone who doesn't believe what I believe or disagrees with me is is the enemy. Right. And Christians, we're called to a different way. Like you, you can you can recognize that someone believes differently, or even that someone's lifestyle is is potentially harmful, um, but but they're still not the enemy. Right. Uh, we're we're trying to display demonstrate the goodness of Jesus to all those around us. And you can't do that when you're seeing someone as your enemy. And and Jesus calls us to pray, right? Uh, well, we might just finish with a couple of thoughts on, I, th- I think one thing is, you know, in our theological stream where we're, we're, we heavily emphasize justification by grace alone through faith alone, amen, we believe that that is good. Sometimes we wonder what the role of good works is. We wrestle with what the word of role of good works is. And it feels like Peter's telling us here what it is. And could you, could you kind of talk on that for just a moment? Yeah. I think I said it at the end of the service on Sunday that like, I think Martin Luther famously said like, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Right. You know, and, and very clearly Peter is saying that, that as we conduct ourselves, you know, as exiles, because we're citizens of the kingdom of God, because we belong to a different ethic, we belong to a different kingdom, um, that God is using that to draw unbelieving neighbors and friends and coworkers to himself. Um, you know, Jesus used the language of, you know, salt of the earth, and, you're, you know, you're a city set on a hill, that, mm-hmm. that, like, you're really this beacon for the world to see, and it's Christ in us, Right. Um, but that salt is this preservative, but it's also this flavoring. Um, and, and we're called to be that among the unbelievers around us. Mm. Um, you know, I think of even Jesus's metaphor of the kingdom as being like leaven in dough that like a little bit of leaven 
worked into dough, you can't see its effect at first. But you have to be patient. And over time, the whole the whole lump of dough is leavened. Yeah. And I think that's the call of the church mm-hmm. is that we're to be this leavening agent. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, God is doing the work. I mean, it's mysterious. But if, if we have, I think one of the words for us is, is patience. Yeah. We, we have to be patient here. I think, you know, there, there, there are times. I mean, I just experienced one where I was in another country and I shared the gospel and somebody came to faith. Um, I would say, I mean, those are amazing moments when the Holy Spirit breaks in and does that. Mm-hmm. But I would say, especially in our own context, the more likely reality for many of us is that as we live our lives faithful to Jesus and as we embrace our identity mm-hmm. as as exiles, as sojourners, following that kingdom ethic, that God is doing his work and that we just need to be patient and that over time we trust that, that God's going to do the work and that on the day of visitation there will be people who came to faith in Christ ultimately because of our witness, because mm-hmm. of our testimony. Mm-hmm. And so I just think we need to be patient. And, and as a church, we need to be that leavening agent in our city. Amen. Um, through our city groups and, and through our shared life together and through a commitment to abstaining from sin and, and walking with Jesus, that, that God's going to use us. Yeah, that's so good. Well, there's a lot more we could talk about in this passage, but I feel like that's a— that's good thoughts for this week. Man, so good to have you back on, brother. Good to have you back in the States. City life, let's uh, let's conduct ourselves honorably this week in such a way that makes Jesus beautiful to others. See you next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church, or if you have any questions about the kind of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card, and we'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.